Amen. You can have a seat. You know, we live a lot of our lives on display anymore. That's what social media has gotten us, that we put a lot of life out there for other people to see. And if we're really honest with ourselves, we want our lives to look pretty good to everybody else, right? So we post stuff that makes us look good. For example, a couple weeks ago, we got to spend a little bit of time with our oldest daughter, Lauren, who's away at college. And when we were together, one of us, I don't remember which, posted this picture that I want you to see, you know, we look pretty happy, right? It looks like a good day. It was a good day. We enjoyed being together. It's the kind of picture you want to put on Facebook. But of course, just a few seconds before this picture was taken, this happened. You've got something like that. Go ahead and admit it, right? I mean, there's some pictures you put on Facebook that looked idyllic, but... Maybe the whole moment wasn't exactly like that. We're all a little bit like that. We want it to look good. That's why, you know, we just got finished posting the all A's report cards, right, that you saw everywhere. Everybody wanted you to know they have smart kids, okay? We do that because, man, if we're honest, we're in competition with people. We put stuff out there and we think, man, their life is good, but my life is pretty awesome, so I want them to see that as well. In fact, I saw this post on Twitter a couple weeks ago. Or maybe last week, I don't know, this is a preacher. He says, 30 baptisms at church this morning, and tonight I walk my daughter down the aisle. Awesome, right? Why did you have to say, my day is better than yours? That's just obnoxious, isn't it? I mean, to me it is. Like, good for you. I mean, it's a big day, but did you have to make everybody feel bad? But that's, that's sort of what we do. I mean, maybe we don't even mean to do that, but... We want people to think our life is awesome, even though we know there's at least some parts of it that are not quite as awesome as we want them to be. In fact, we might be looking around on social media, sort of thinking, and I wish I had his life. I wish I had her life. I wish my family was like that, or my marriage was like that, or my kids were that smart, or I had the, the stuff that that person has. I wish I had their house or their car. Why do they have that car and I don't have that car? I wish I could post the kind of status that, that they do, but that's it's not my life. It's easy for us to fall into that trap, isn't it? I mean, it's really easy for us to focus in on what other people have that we would really like to have, but don't have. And so we try to make life look awesome, but sometimes it's not always awesome. We have this continual desire for more. So for the next few weeks, as we go through the Thanksgiving season, I want us to think about status and what we have and how that status communicates something about who we are and how we understand ourselves. And even more important than that, how that, how that shows how we understand God. And so to get at that, today I want us to begin thinking about how we sort of want what other people have. Our lives are not always perfect. We're real people who make up real families, and, and that means that we do stuff that hurts people's feelings. We stay, say stuff that we wish we could take back, and it's not always perfect. So how do we have the right attitude even in the midst of an imperfect life? To deal with that, 
I'd like us to turn to the worship language of the Old Testament. And that means we're going to be in Psalms today. And today I'd like us to look at Psalm 138. Many scholars see this one psalm as like a summation of a lot of, of, a lot of the other Thanksgiving psalms. We see psalms of all types. Some are sort of saying, God, why is life this way? Some are saying, God, man, you're awesome. Some are saying, God, you're awesome because you've done so much for me. And this is one of those Thanksgiving psalms that talks about how God has acted both for Israel and for the individual who wrote it. So that's where I want us to look at today. We'll get to Paul a little bit before we finish as well. Psalm 138, beginning in verse 1. The psalmist says, I will praise you, Lord, with all my heart. Heart there is a word that means with all my being, with all myself, with everything that makes me, me, that's what I'm going to praise you with. So with all I've got, God, everything I have, I'm going to praise you my whole life. Before the gods, I will sing your praise. Gods? What's that about? I thought the whole testament was don't worship other gods. And what the psalmist is saying is the people all around us have all these other gods, but God, I'm going to praise you and I'm going to show them and their false gods who the real God is. My life's going to be about praise. Verse 2, I will bow down toward your holy temple and I will praise your name. Again, all about praise. For your unfailing love and your faithfulness. Remember that line. For you have so exalted your solemn decree that it surpasses your fame. But that one line, for your unfailing love and your faithfulness. That's the beginning of this psalm's statement of this is why I'm thanking God for what God has done. Because God has, and these words, unfailing love and faithfulness, appear all through the Psalms. In fact, all through the Old Testament. But over and over, what we hear the psalmist saying is, God is steadfast in his love for us. In other words, God has made promises to the people of Israel, and we are 100% sure that God will always and forever keep those promises. God's steadfast love and his faithfulness assure us of that. And so Israel could say, God promised us a land, and he gave us a land. He promised to make us a people, and he made us a people. He promised to bring us out of slavery, and he did just that. All the things that God promises, he does. And we know that's still at work, right? We know that God promises, I'll be with you always and forever. And he is. We know that God promises that if you've... If you've um, Repent of your sins. If you confess your sins, he's faithful to forgive them. We know if we confess our sins today, God will forgive those sins. We know if God promises eternal life, which he did, we can expect eternal life. God is a God who keeps his promises. And one of the reasons that we can praise God, one of the reasons that we should praise God, is because he's faithful and steadfast in keeping those promises. Always and forever. Verse 3. When I called, you answered me. And this is where it switches from really this public affirmation, this we together are praising God, to me. I'm praising God. When I called, you answered me. You greatly emboldened me. I like that language. God noticed when I was in trouble. I talked to God when something wasn't right in my life and God heard it. That's what the psalmist is saying. 
And because of that, because God, this says something about the nature of God, because God is a God who hears us, first of all, and responds to us. He cares about us. He's also an active God who deals with stuff. Like God is not a God who sits back and says, man, I hope you figure that out because I'm not sure what to tell you to do. God is a God who steps in and acts the kind of God that we need. A God who is engaged in our lives, engaged in human history. A God who steps in and does something. That's the kind of God we worship, who cares about us. And because of that, the psalmist says, I know you're a God who cares because I asked you, I cried out for help, and you provided it. And because of that, it emboldened me. In other words, and there's times when we go to God humbly asking for, for forgiveness. And yeah, those, that's the right moment to be humble. And there's times when you go, man, God, you're so great. I don't even know how to talk to you. And there's moments for that too. But the psalmist is saying here, there are also moments when because God has responded in the past, we go in boldly and we are unafraid to ask God for what we need. We are unafraid to say, God, my life's a mess. I need your help. Or God, I really want to see this at work in the life of my child. Can you provide the right person to speak into their lives? Because right now they're not listening to me. God, could you bring healing to my parent who is suffering right now? We are bold in asking God because we've seen him at work and it emboldens us. I love that language. Verse 6, let's skip down a little bit. Though the Lord is exalted, he looks kindly on the lowly. Though lofty, he sees them from afar. Now, you know, it's easy for us to worship. It's easy for us to give thanks. It's easy for us to praise when things are good. Because we got something to talk to God about. And God has acted. God's provided. I have what I need. Everything is great. But the psalmist is here saying, you know what? God notices the great. He notices the powerful, the wealthy. Yeah, he knows who's in charge. God knows the kings, the priests, the prophets. He knows all those people. But he also takes note of just as much the people that no one else cares about. The lowly. And there's a time for praising God even when we feel like one of these people. That God is high and lifted up, but he notices us even in our struggle, even in our pain, even in our need. There is a time for giving thanks even in the midst of all of that because God cares. Verse 7, though I walk in the midst of trouble, though I'm having some trouble in my life, you preserve my life, you keep my life. You stretch out your hand against the anger of my foes. With your right hand, you save me. Even though I'm in the midst of this struggle and it feels like everyone's against me, even my body may be reacting against me, God, you are still there. You care about me. You're protecting me from all the things that could bring me harm. You're the kind of God, again, who acts. And I can give thanks even in the midst of trouble. Now, I think about that and I think about, okay, well, how does the New Testament respond in that same kind of language? We don't, have, we don't have a New Testament book of songs, okay, like we do in the Old Testament. Now, the, the, the Christians probably use the Psalms as their worship language, and we do some too. Some of our songs come from the book of Psalms. But then I began to think about Paul in the midst of his trouble, how he responded to God. And so in Philippians chapter 4, as Paul, is, as Paul is facing trial before Caesar, knowing that he could be executed, this is what he says in verse 12. Philippians 4.12, I know 
well, let me get this right. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. And in essence, Paul is saying the same thing that the psalmist is saying. When it's awesome, you know what? I can praise God. And when life's rough, and I'm taking my needs to God, which we should do, and I'm boldly asking Him for what I need, which we should do, I am also giving thanks. Because God's not absent in those moments. God has not forgotten me, and there's still something to give thanks for. And so we might say it this way. The lesson that we learn from this is God gives you reasons to give thanks. All the time. Not just in the great moments of life, but even in the struggle. And when we make the decision that we're going to give thanks, we sort of turn the thinking of our world on its head. It changes the way that we approach life. It helps us know that God is alive, that God is active, that God is engaging us, and that He cares and loves us, that He hears us. And when we change that thinking, then we begin to notice status, the stuff that everyone else has, the things that I would like to have that other people have, and they're not nearly as important as I once thought they were. What really matters is God has blessed me in amazing ways. Great philosopher Willie Nelson said it this way. When I started counting my blessings, my whole life changed. Maybe that's something we need to hear. If I really started noticing what God is doing, it might change how I understand myself, my life, and God. You know, here, here's the way I am. You may be different, but here's the way I am. It's pretty easy for me to give thanks to God when things are good, but there can be just like one thing, one thing that's really bothering me, one need in my life, and it's sort of needling me all the time. It's sort of there. Every time I, I, I have a moment of quiet, it, it reappears. Here it is again. This one thing that's just not right, okay? Family, work, money, whatever it may be, any of those things, it could be in any of those arenas in life, friends, whatever it is. And you know what? That's what controls my thinking, is the one thing that's not right. When God's done all this stuff, that is so right. And I forget all that. I forget all of it. And I lose track of that. You know, there maybe something's on your mind today. Something that's just not right. Maybe it's a big thing. Maybe relatively, it's pretty small, but it's there. And it's just sort of after you this morning. And you can't, you don't feel like you can get away from it. And so what do we forget? We forget that we all had a car to get here today, right? Or we had a friend who wanted to bring us, which is awesome too. We had a place to sleep last night. We all have clothes on. Most of us didn't come here hungry, and if we did, there were donuts in the Welcome Center, so it's all good, right? I mean, we have something to give thanks for today. And maybe you're like me. You lose track of all that and notice the one thing that God hasn't dealt with yet. And maybe God's going to deal with that today or tomorrow. We don't know his schedule. But compared to all this stuff that's right, it might be insignificant. Maybe not, but it might be insignificant. 
And we just need to take a few minutes to notice what God has done because it changes how we understand God, this God who is active and engaged in our lives. Because then we begin to give thanks for that and notice that, and we're open to God's blessing in new ways. And Voskamp said this, and I think this is helpful as well. The brave who focus on all things good and all things true, even in the small, who give thanks for it and discover joy even in the here and now. With that said, we're talking about people who are thankful for what God has done. Then she says this. They are the change agents who bring fullest light to all the world. And that is right on, isn't it? And I've seen that at work. The people who spend their lives complaining that and somebody else has it better. The people who spend their lives complaining about their kids and their spouse and their parents and their job and the fact that they don't have what other people have. Those people, we don't even want to be around, do we? That is not fun to hear someone complain about their life all the time. Now, there's a moment, there's a time when life may be difficult, when we need to go to somebody and talk it through. That's okay. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about consistently complaining about life. Those people have little or no influence on others. The change agents, the people who make a difference in our lives, in our communities, in our churches, in our workplaces, our families, those are the people who recognize what God has done in their lives and they use it. And it can be infectious. And when you've got somebody who's thankful for the way God is at work in their lives, that affects the people around them. They, they take what God is doing and they use that to impact other people. Those are the change agents. And my guess is most of us want to be those people. Most of us, we don't want to be known for just complaining about everything in life. We want to be known for God doing something in our lives and affecting people around us in a positive way that makes them better people. Well, that's what we need to do. God gives us reasons to give thanks, and we've got to take notice of that. We've got to allow that to be at work in our lives. It's not easy. In fact, sometimes it's not natural, and it doesn't happen by accident, we have to be really intentional about this. And so this morning, I want us to be intentional for just a few minutes. I'd like for you to think about the three things, okay? Just three. The three things that you are most thankful for. Get that in your head. You don't have to write it down. If you want to, that's fine. But the three things you're most thankful for. Maybe they're people, okay? Maybe they're in the room right now. Maybe it's something that God does for you, a gift that God has given you that you're able to use for him and in your life in a positive way. Maybe it's something that God's blessed you with. I mean, maybe it's your home. I don't know. The three things you're most thankful for. And we're going to spend just a few seconds in silence thanking God for those three things. Now, I know in our culture we're uncomfortable with silence. In just a few seconds, seems like hours, but it's going to be okay, I promise, all right? We usually have a phone, TV, something making noise, okay? But for a few moments, seconds, I promise, it, it's going to be just you and God. And all I want you to do is just thank Him for those three things. And then I'll close it in prayer.
God, we're thankful. We are so thankful for the fact you're at work in our lives. And you blessed us with people that matter. You blessed us with the basic needs of our lives. Maybe not more than we need, but you've given us what we need. We're thankful we can come here and worship. We're thankful for the people who are gathered in this room, who are faithful to you. And we're thankful. And take that and allow us to give you praise because of what you've done. And God, help us to be aware of how you're blessing us every day and overcome the anxiety and the struggle that comes with just noticing what's not right in life. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.